to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 2, as we follow along with today's lesson. Therefore he said unto them, The harvest truly is great but the laborers are few. There are three times when Jesus mentions the harvest. You remember when he, in John's gospel early on, met the woman at the well, Jacob's well there in Samaria. And when he revealed to her that he was the Messiah, she said, I know when the Messiah comes, He's going to teach us all things. He said, woman, I, who am speaking to you, I'm he. And so she went into the village and she said, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Is this not the Messiah? And while the disciples were talking with Jesus, the Samaritans began to pour out of this little city of Shechem crossing the fields to Jacob's well where Jesus was waiting for them. And Jesus said, don't say four months and then comes the harvest. Behold the fields, they are white unto harvest. And the Samaritans came and heard the word and were converted. Now, if we had sent um, a team to Samaria to determine the uh, possibilities of evangelism, they would have come back and said, well, that is a tough territory. It's going to take some time up there. You'll need time for plowing and breaking up the hard ground and planting the seed. It's, it's, you know, it's, the harvest is at least four months away. And Jesus said, no, no, don't say four months. It, look, it's, it's ripe now for harvest. The Samaritans hated by the Jews, but Jesus said they're ready for the harvest. In the Galilee region, which the Jews looked at with contempt, when Jesus saw the multitudes, the Bible said, he had compassion upon them. And he saw them as as the harvest, and he he speaks of them as, as the harvest. Now here, he sees this area of Perea ready to be harvested. And he said, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Great harvest. The laborers are few. Pray that the Lord will send forth laborers into the harvest. You know, it's, it's sort of a tragedy 
that after General MacArthur had signed the accord with Japan after the war, General MacArthur called on the United States to send 10,000 missionaries to Japan. He said they are ready for the harvest. They need the gospel. They're a defeated people. But instead, the commercial interest moved in with materialism, and Japan was built by the commercial interest into a tremendous economic empire. The church failed. There was a great harvest there, according to General MacArthur, but we failed to reap the harvest. And the time of harvest sort of passed for Japan. Right now, the doors are open in Russia. People are all interested in hearing about the gospel. But the doors are already beginning to close. Thank God that we've been able to send so many missionaries into Russia, and we have many Calvary chapels within Russia at the present time, but oh so few compared with what is needed to be there. And so Jesus said, pray ye the Lord of harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. And then he said, go your ways. And, and you know, he says, pray and then go. So many times you pray, Lord, send forth the harvesters. Okay, go, you know. <laughs> and he's talking to me, you know, he's, He's sending me. I'm praying, Lord, send forth laborers. And uh, so then he said to them, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among the wolves. He saw the people there being preyed upon by the religious people, the wolves, and I'm sending you forth as lambs among the wolves. And so carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes. And don't salute or greet men in the way. Now, their salutations were very formal and long and drawn out. Jesus said you don't have time for those long formal salutations. Uh, you've got a task to accomplish. And whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. And if not, it shall turn to you again. If, if, if the spirit of God is moving in their hearts and the son of peace is there, then you'll realize that if not, then... Uh, it will turn, you, you'll, you'll discern, you'll feel it, the peace will turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. And don't go from house to house. Don't uh, just go and establish your work and, and remain there uh, and eat and drink what they give you. The laborer is worthy of his hire. And in whatsoever city you enter 
and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And then their commission was to heal the sick and to declare to the people, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Now, when he sent the 12 out, he gave them power. He told them to cast out devils, to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. Here he says nothing about casting out devils. However, we know that they did do this. When they returned, they were rejoicing that even the devils were subject to them in the name of Jesus. But basically, their commission is just to heal the sick and tell the people that the kingdom of God is coming near to you. And they, they were really to announce the fact that Jesus, the king, was going to be coming to their area, to their village, to their city. And uh, they were to be forerunners uh, of Jesus coming to these villages. But unto whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaves on us, we do wipe off against you. But Jesus said, Notwithstanding, be you sure of this, or this, this is what they're to say, you know, your dust that cleaves to us, we wipe off against you. However, know this, be sure, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. You've come close to the kingdom. You know, it is sort of a tragic thing that many people come close to the kingdom but never enter in. There is a time when maybe through tragedy, maybe through heartache, maybe through a death of a loved one, a person's heart is touched, their heart is open, they're sort of searching, and the kingdom of God comes near to them. And many people who have been near to the kingdom of God have tragically turned away from that door of opportunity that they had to enter into the kingdom because the Spirit of God was working in their hearts and in their lives. And so it was, it was a sad thing if a village would reject and they would have to shake the dust off and say, you know, the dust that cleaves to us, we, we shake it off. But know this, the kingdom of God was near to you. You had your opportunity to receive the kingdom of God. You had your opportunity to accept the king. And Jesus said, even the very dust of the, your city, which cleaves on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be sure of this, the kingdom of God is come near. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in the day for Sodom than for that city. Jesus always taught that the judgment would be according to the knowledge that people received. That the people of Sodom, though they did things that were unspeakably evil, 
They had not a great witness brought to them. It would appear that by the time Lot came to the city of Sodom, he had so compromised his own witness that he failed to be a witness. And thus not really having much of a witness, when the day of judgment comes, uh, it'll be more tolerable in that day of judgment for Sodom than for those cities that had the opportunity to hear Jesus and rejected the light that God brought to them. Sinning against the light, against the knowledge that you have, is much worse than the sins that are committed by a person who has never had the opportunity to hear or to know. Uh, Luke will point that out quite clearly when we get to chapter 12. A couple of weeks from now, he points out very clearly how that to whom much is given, much is required. To whom little is given, little is required. But then Jesus, as he is speaking of that day of judgment that's going to come, the resurrection of the dead to be judged, the men of Sodom will arise in the day of judgment. They will be judged before God along with every other generation that has lived upon the earth. Paul said, And thinkest thou, O man, that you can escape the judgment of God? In Hebrews it says, it asks the question, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And how can we escape what? The judgment of God. If we reject the great salvation that has been brought to us through Jesus Christ. So speaking then of that day of judgment and of the judgment to come and of people who have sinned against the light, the knowledge that God has given to them, he said, Woe unto you, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works have been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they would have a great while ago repented sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. Now it is interesting that Jesus speaks of the great works that were done in Chorazin. But what is interesting is that the scriptures don't record for us any of the great works that Jesus did in Chorazin. The miracles that are recorded in the scripture were most of them done in the city of Capernaum. Um, other cities of Galilee, of course, the widow of Nain, her son came back to life. In Cana of Galilee, he turned the water into wine. And in all of these other cities, Bethsaida, Chorazin, and all, Jesus also did many marvelous miracles, but they're not recorded in the Scripture. But John tells us at the end of his Gospel that if all of the things that Jesus did were actually recorded, all of the libraries in the world could not hold the books 
that could have been written and maybe should have been written of all that Jesus did and said. So uh, here is a good example. He is talking about the marvelous works that were done in Chorazin and Bethsaida, and yet we don't have any account of those works in the scriptures here at all. Near Bethsaida is where he fed the 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish, but that was, that was out of town. Uh, but here is judgment pronounced against these cities who had seen the work of God, had the opportunity to observe God's work and sinned against the knowledge that was brought to them in the teaching of Jesus. And thou Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, it was sort of the crown jewel of the Sea of Galilee, you will be brought down or thrust down to hell. Exalted wealth and prestige, but going to be brought down. And then Jesus said, he that hears you, hears me. And he that despises you, despises me. And he that despises me, despises him who sent me. It's beautiful to me how Jesus identifies with those who go forth to witness for him. He is saying, look, they're not really rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And I think that that's an important thing for us to remember many times. When we start to witness to people about Jesus Christ and they get angry and mean and nasty, we have such a tendency to personalize it and, and to, uh, you know, just feel real horrible because, you know, we don't like people to hate us. We don't like people to uh, be angry with us. And yet, in reality, Jesus said, it's, it's me that they're despising. It's me that they won't listen to. And he so identifies with us as we go forth in his name to witness for him that, that he says, look, if they're not hearing you, they're really not hearing me. If they're despising you, they're really despising me. And if they're despising me, they're also despising him who sent me. And so the 70 returned. So they went on out as they were commanded and they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils were subject unto us through thy name. They had gone forth and administered in the power of the Spirit, came back rejoicing the victories that they saw, the power that they had experienced even over the demonic spirits in the name of Jesus. And it was through the name of Jesus that they practiced the exorcism. Um, you remember the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts who have been watching Paul in his ministry of exorcism. And they got hold of this man who had an unclean spirit and they said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches come out. 
And the Spirit said, well, I know Paul and I know Jesus, but who are you? (laughs) And he turned on them and ripped off their clothes and all, and they fled for their lives. Uh, it, It isn't the Jesus whom Paul preaches that has power in your life. It's the Jesus whom you have experienced personally. That's the power in your life, that personal relationship that you can have and should have with him. Now, as they gave this glowing report, Jesus said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, this is an interesting passage and a little difficult to know exactly what Jesus was referring to. It would appear from the scriptures that Satan has access into heaven. In the book of Job, we read that the sons of God were presenting themselves unto God and Satan also came with them. And God addressed Satan. He said, well, where have you been? Satan said, oh, I've been going up and down the earth to and fro through it. Well, have you considered my servant Job? Good man, loves God, hates evil. Perfect in his ways. And so Satan had access to God and he was there accusing Job of being a mercenary. Oh, yeah, but the way you've blessed that guy, anybody would, you know, love you, bless him like you've blessed Job. Let me, let me take away all of those things you've given to him and you'll see the true Job. He'll curse you to your face. And you know the story, accusing Job of being a mercenary. Now, in the book of Revelation, we find the angels saying at that time, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the dragon has been cast out. The accuser of the brethren who has accused them day and night, and he knows that he has just a short time. Now that would appear to take place during the great tribulation period. When Satan is cast out of heaven and knows that he has just but a short time. In Isaiah, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Sought to exalt yourself, but you've been cast forth. But it would appear that he still has access into heaven. He is there accusing the believer, before God, day and night. But there will be that time when he will be cast out. Now, Jesus is saying, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Is he speaking prophetically of the future? You know, is he, is he seeing this as the future fall of Satan and speaking prophetically? Or... Is he making reference to the fact that the power that Satan has had over people for so long is about to be broken? For when Jesus died on the cross, in a, in a sense, he sort of pulled Satan's teeth. 
stripped him of power. He can gum you to death, but he, you know, sort of stripped him of his power. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2 that Christ spoiled those principalities and powers that were against us as he triumphed over them in the cross, making an open display of his victory through it. And so there on the cross, Jesus triumphed over the powers of darkness so that as a believer, you have the power of God's Spirit in you, which is greater than that which is in the world. So that is Jesus referring to the fact that through his death, Satan's power that he has had over mankind for so long is broken. And we who enter into the victory of Christ have victory over those powers of darkness. One other suggestion has been given by the commentators, an interesting one, and I only present it for food for thought. And that is that according to the Jewish belief and legend, it was the sin of pride that caused Satan's fall. And it was when, as Isaiah 14 tells us, he said, I will exalt my throne above the stars or the angels of God. I will ascend above the clouds. I will sit in the congregation in the sides of the north. I will be like the Most High. And that sin of pride is what brought Satan down. Is Jesus, when the disciples are coming back all exhilarated and excited over the ministry and over the power that they've been able to experience, is he giving them a subtle warning concerning pride? Is he saying, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven because, you know, pride filled his heart, the anointed cherub that covereth and perfect in all of his ways until that rebellion through pride. And, and some have suggested that Jesus is warning them against even spiritual pride, which can be a very damnable thing. Your choice. We don't know. Behold, he said, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy. I'm giving you now the power to tread on the serpents and the scorpions. Of course, Satan is known as a serpent. And perhaps Jesus is, is saying, I'm giving you the power over these evil demonic spirits and forces and over all of the powers of darkness, granting to them that kind of power. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, you remember in Mark's gospel, when he gave the commission to the disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, 
He said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. It would appear that this commissioning of the uh, 70 or this talking to the 70, uh, he's saying similar things. You're going to tread on serpents and scorpions. And uh, these things are not going to hurt you in any wise. Now, how do we explain then that for the most part, they all met violent death at the hands of men as they were martyrs for Jesus Christ. Well, of course, Jesus had said, don't fear those who can kill your body and after that have no power, but fear rather him who after the body is killed has the power to cast your soul into hell. Yeah, I say unto you, fear ye him. So that Jesus is, is talking again in the spiritual realm the power that we have in the spirit over the powers of darkness. And they cannot touch you in the realm of the spirit. They can't harm you or hurt you in that spiritual realm. But Jesus said, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not. They came back rejoicing in the power that they had over the devil's. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's the thing to rejoice in. Oh, you know, how glorious to realize that my name is written in heaven in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that wonderful? I rejoice in that. My name is written in the books in heaven. And in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. He just received the report. These men are excited. They're filled with joy. They've experienced his power. And they're coming back with these stories of victories in the name of Jesus that they had witnessed. And Jesus looks at them, and they're just simple people. There wasn't a PhD among them. They're just simple people. Plain, ordinary people who have experienced the power and the dynamics of the power of God in their lives. And, and that just thrilled Jesus. It just, I, he just sort of you know, was rejoicing in his spirit as they told of what was done. And he said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hid these things from the wise and the prudent and has revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. O Father, I thank you. I thank you for your program. They, you hid these things from the wise and prudent, from the but you, you revealed them unto babes. Now, isn't it interesting that today 
We feel the qualifications for the ministry is to go to seminary for uh, a jillion years and become wise and prudent. And the greatest qualification for the ministry is, is a PhD and several, uh, you know, your master's and so forth. And, and you've become very wise and very prudent. Now we feel, oh, yes, you're really qualified for the ministry. Well, you may be qualified for a ministry, but you're sort of disqualified for the power of the Spirit in many cases. Here were people who were just simple. And Jesus is rejoicing that God hid it from the wise and the prudent and revealed it unto the babes. He loved that. He just, because Father, it seemed, I thank you, Father, that you did that, it, because it seemed good to you. What does that mean? It means that every one of you are qualified for the ministry to serve the Lord, to experience the power and the dynamic of the Spirit in your life and to go in the name of Jesus and heal the sick and bring life and the message of life to the people around you. You don't have to be schooled in religion. You don't have to go to a seminary. You can just go in the name of Jesus to the lost. And in the power of the Spirit, you can bring a witness to them. And you can rejoice also in the power of God that you can experience in your life as you minister to others. Jesus said, all things are delivered to me of my Father. And no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. People really don't know God. They think they know God. They have their own concepts and ideas of God, but they don't know God unless Jesus has revealed the Father to them. God can only be known by revelation. Uh, the, was it Eliphaz that said to Job, who by searching can find out God to perfection? God does not, is not discovered through the intellectual quest of man, but is known through the revelation of the Spirit. So if you want to know God, ask the Spirit to reveal him to you. No man really knows the Father except those to whom the Son has revealed him. And he turned to the disciples and he said to them privately, blessed are the eyes that see the things that you see. You're blessed. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Paul speaks in his epistles of the mysteries that were not revealed in former generations but are now being revealed by the Spirit. And that is that ordinary Believers such as you and me 
can experience the glorious indwelling of Christ in our lives. That it is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. Now, Peter tells us that even the angels desired to look into these things. The angels are sort of amazed at the grace that God has bestowed on us. They desired to look into those things which God has done for those who believe in him and trust in him through Jesus Christ. Now, there was a certain lawyer that was there, and he stood up, tempting him. Uh, Another translation says, put him on trial, which sounds more like a lawyer, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we remember that this is the question that the rich young ruler had asked Jesus on another occasion. But this man's a lawyer. Now, in the other Gospels, we read of a lawyer who asked Jesus the question, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. This lawyer is just saying, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said, you have the law. How do you read it? What does it say to you? He was a lawyer. That is, he had studied the law. Probably on his wrist, there was a little box, the phylactery, that had a portion of the law in it. And one of the portions that it had in it was Out of Deuteronomy 6, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus said, you have the law. What does it say to you? How do you read it? And so he answered Jesus and he said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. But he willing, not satisfied, he's willing to justify himself. He said, but who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus had said that actually in these two, that is loving God supremely and your neighbor as yourself, which is awfully close to supremely, that in these two is all of the law and the prophets, all summed up in this. Love God and love your neighbor. I mean, you've summed up the law and the prophets. That's the message, the heart of the message of the Old Testament in the law and in the prophets. The heart of the message is to love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, if you do that, you don't need all the thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not lie. You don't need all of that stuff. The first table of the law is summed up in loving God supremely. The second table of the law is summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. You've got it all. The Ten Commandments are all right there. They're fulfilled if you do these two things. Interesting that usually the Ten Commandments were in the negatives. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. This is very positive. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and your neighbor as yourself. But he 
He was wanting to justify himself. He said, but who is my neighbor? So Jesus answering said, there was a certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, from Jerusalem to Jericho is a journey of about 18 to 20 miles. Jerusalem is 2,300 feet above sea level. Jericho was about 1,200 feet below sea level. So it is steep. It's a, uh, go, the, the path of the road goes through canyons. It was a place where uh, gangs and robbers hung out. Usually people would never travel that road alone because of the danger. They would usually wait and travel in caravans for protection. But this man was journeying from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And he was beset by the thieves who stripped him of his clothes, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The man probably looked like he was dead. If the priest would touch him, then he would be considered unclean for seven days. He'd have to go through ritual bathing and all. And so for fear that maybe the man might be dead, he wasn't even willing to touch him, but just passed by on the other side. Likewise, also a Levite of the priestly tribe, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. He, he, had a little, he at least looked at the guy. And then he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, <laughs> ho, 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 pulls out the knife now. You see, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. And the moment Jesus said a certain Samaritan, they were probably thinking, ah, ha, ha, the villain now, you know, because the Samaritans were always the villains in the story. And for Jesus to make a Samaritan the hero of the story, oh, man, that doesn't set well. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And he set him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and he gave them to the host, and he said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever you spend more than this, when I come again, I will repay you. And so Jesus then asked the question, which now of these three do you think was the neighbor unto him who fell among the thieves? And he said, well, he that showed mercy on him. And then said Jesus unto him, go thou and do thou likewise. Who is my neighbor? The person who is in distress the person who is in need, he's my neighbor. Now it came to pass, 
as they went that they entered into a certain village. From the Gospel of John, we know that the village that they entered was Bethany because John tells us that Mary and Martha lived in Bethany. In fact, it said that Bethany was Martha's town. She knew everybody in Bethany. Everybody knew Martha. She was just, I mean, Mary. She was just that kind of a person that's friendly, gregarious, and, and everybody knows her. And uh, so uh, it just said it was Martha's town. Uh, I mean, Mary's town. Mary and Martha, okay. Uh, it was Mary's town. Now, there was a certain woman named Martha who received him into her house. Now, it was Martha's house. Though they, Mary and Martha both lived there, it was Martha's house. Uh, Martha was the homekeeper, the homemaker. She was the domestic one. She was the one that busied herself around the house. That was sort of her domain. Whereas the village was Mary's domain. Mary was out and visiting among the villagers and, and uh, was just... And so the contrasting of personalities and the contrasting of, of uh, character, characteristics. Not everybody... God didn't create us all the same. God did create us with, with different interests and likes and capacities and talents. And I, I marvel and I love how some people are so gifted with, with certain talents. It, and it seems like they don't have to really study or, or work hard. I mean, they just have a natural aptitude towards certain things. And, and to me, it's a delight and a thrill to see people with, with aptitudes towards music and, and to hear them as, as they uh, play the various instruments gifted by God. And, and it's definitely just, it, it, it's there, it's in the genes, it's, it's a part of, of just the gifting that they have. And, and so God has made us with various aptitudes and various characteristics. Martha, the homebody. That was her palace. That was her domain. Mary, didn't like to be around the house much. <laughs> Got about town, you know, just out in the mall, <laughs> visiting people and all. <laughs> Familiar sight in the mall. Oh, there goes Mary. Mary, how are you doing, you know? So Martha had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. They also sat at Jesus' feet. Now Martha received him into her house, and Mary, her sister, also sat at Jesus' feet Hearing his word. Uh, the also sat is suggested by some that it, it meant that she also was serving Jesus. She was helping and in, in preparing the meal, but she also sat at Jesus' feet. She took time out from the service 
to sit at Jesus' feet to hear his words. Because, you see, that's true to form. Martha, the homemaker, the one busy around the house, her domain, I mean, she's cooking up a storm. She's busy setting everything in order, getting everything just lovely and and right to show her love to Jesus in her actions, in her deeds. Wanting to prepare the best for him because of her love for him. Wanting it to be just perfect. Martha, the busy one. Mary, well, I mean, I put it out on the table. So I didn't put a napkin under it, you know, but I didn't put the finest silver. I mean, but, you know, that wasn't important to Mary. It was to Martha. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. I mean, busy, busy, busy in the serving. And today we have people that match both types of personalities. And they're both good and they're both important. The story isn't really putting down Martha for all of her activity for the Lord. That was her way of expressing love. James said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Service for the Lord is important. It's a very important thing. And if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, then your your faith is questionable. Even John tells us that we are to love not in words, but in our deeds and in truth. And and the, the story that Jesus has just told about the man who was beset by the thieves on the road to Jericho. Uh, In that story, uh, the one who did for the man was the one who was commended and really showed himself to be a neighbor. Those that just looked and maybe felt sympathetic without doing anything for him did not advantage or help the man at all. He needed more than sympathy. He needed the wounds to be bound up, to be mollified with the oil and the wine, and and he needed to be helped to the end. So doing is not wrong, but you can overdo. You can do to the point of distraction. You can do to the point of neglect. You can be so busy doing for the Lord that you neglect the Lord himself. And we've got to be careful of that. You know, I think that the churches have made a mistake many times in taking when a person comes into the church, you know, the third Sunday you become a member. Uh, First Sunday you're a visitor, second Sunday you're a second-time visitor, but the third Sunday, they get you on the books. Your name goes on the roll in the Sunday school class after the third Sunday. And so often, immediately, they have the uh, 
philosophy that the way to keep them is to get them involved in service. And so often when you show up the third Sunday, the pastor is there greeting you, welcoming you again, and handing you a uh, Sunday school quarterly and saying, we need a teacher for the fourth grade class, you know, and we feel that you're the one, you know, and because if you start teaching, you see, then you're going to stay there. And, and they have that of putting people to work immediately. And the result so often is that a person, after a period of time, gets burned out because of all of the duties and the demands that are made upon them by the church. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Luke in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on serving to the point of neglect. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Luke 10 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord bless you. May the love of Jesus Christ just fill your heart and your life. And may God's Spirit work in you as he brings to your awareness those areas of failure, those unintentional sins, that we might bring them to the Lord and confess them to him who is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Come study the Bible with Pastor Chuck Smith as he teaches from Genesis through Revelation on a digitally remastered audio edition of Pastor Chuck's Bible Commentary. That's over 600 audio MP3 files of Pastor Chuck teaching through the entire Bible, all on a 16-gig reusable flash drive. Now you can easily listen to Pastor Chuck's Bible commentaries when you insert this key into your computer. Then you can transfer all of these audio Bible studies to a smartphone or any other listening device to learn and study God's Word on the go. And not only that, you can reuse this flash drive that easily fits onto any keyring for even more mobility at a fraction of the cost. What a great way to study and learn God's Word. For more information, please call the Word for Today at 1-800-272-9673 
or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.